Well, hello again. Like I said earlier, my name is Chad. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Vaughn Forest, and I'm excited to be here with you today as we are continuing this message series, Sermon on the Mount. For the last couple of weeks, we have been taking a journey together, looking at what many consider to be the greatest sermon ever preached, uh, with Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And if you have missed either one of these past messages, any of the past weeks, uh, I would highly encourage you to head over to vaughnforce.com and get caught up. There has been some really great teaching in this series, some great things that we can apply to our lives. And uh, the great news is that we've still got 10 weeks in this series left to go. And so really excited as we continue to dive into that. And I'm excited to be here with you today uh, as we go through our, our portion of scripture today for the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to be picking it up where Adam left off last week in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. And the title of our message for today is Spiritual Growth Through Reconciliation. And over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to see Jesus talking about the application of spiritual growth in our lives, how we as believers can move towards spiritual maturity. And today we're going to be focusing on this idea of reconciliation. And that's just a big word that simply means to restore the relationship, to make things right. And uh, we're going to be looking at Matthew 5, 21 through 26. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn uh, in your Bibles to Matthew 5, 21. And we're going to uh, read through that scripture. And the way it's going to kind of work today, because there's some things in the scripture that might seem a little bit odd at first glance. What I want to do is read through the entirety of the scripture, and then we're going to go back and we're going to lay a foundation for the application for today. We're going to talk about what we are talking about and then what we are not talking about, and uh, and then we'll kind of go verse by verse and get to our application for today. So if you do have your Bibles, make sure you're in Matthew 5, 21. If you don't have your Bibles, no worries at all. We're going to put all the scripture up here on the screens as we follow along together talking about spiritual growth through reconciliation. So, picking it up in verse 21, this is Jesus talking, and this is what he says. He says, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, You good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Some pretty harsh language here. Verse 23. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent of law while you were with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Truly, I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. So before we get to the application of this today, we have to lay a little bit of a foundation of what Jesus is talking about here. We have to understand a little bit better some of the context to what Jesus is saying. And we're going to have to differentiate between a few things. We have to talk about what Jesus is talking about versus what Jesus is not talking about. And there's some big ideas in this bit of scripture that we have to have a proper understanding of before we can really get to some of that application. And so we're going to differentiate 
differentiate between a few things, and I didn't put these in your notes, but if you want to jot some of this down, I think it would be a good idea. The first thing we need to talk about is the difference between what was said versus what Jesus is now saying. There is a very big difference in what was said versus what Jesus is now saying. And we see this verbiage in this passage of Scripture where Jesus says, You have heard it said, but I now say to you. Or the ancients were told, but now I am telling you. And so this is a very big deal that Jesus is saying this. When he was referring to what was said, Jesus is talking about the Old Testament law. The Mosaic Law, the law that was given to Moses. If you don't know the story, way back in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, the Israelites are in slavery in Egypt. They are in bondage, and God brings them out of that bondage. He uses a man named Moses to lead them out. So they leave Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. You've probably heard that story. And then on their way to the Promised Land on Mount Sinai, God gives Moses his law. He says, here is the standard, here is what you are to follow. When Jesus is referring to what was said, that is what he is referring to. He's referring to this Mosaic law that God gave to the Israelites on Mount Sinai years and years and years ago. And this is the law that every single uh, Israelite boy, girl would have memorized as they were growing up. They knew this law backwards and forwards. And what's interesting here is when Jesus says what was said to you, but here's what I am now saying is Jesus is showing that he has authority over the law. He has authority over the law. This is a very, very big deal. Again, remember, all of the folks that were listening, they grew up memorizing this law. This is what they lived by for a lot of years. And the only person who could have authority over the law is God himself. God was the one who initially gave the law, and now Jesus is saying, but now I am saying to you. He is saying that I am the authoritative giver of God's law. He is saying that I am the interpreter of God's law. And as we discussed last week in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, and I have come to fulfill the law. I am the fulfillment of that law. And everyone sitting there listening to Jesus, what they would have heard is him saying that I am God. And ultimately, God gave us his law. The Old Testament, when we look at it, one of the biggest reasons that God gives us his law in the Old Testament is to show us our need for rescue. It shows us that we were never, ever going to be able to live up to God's perfect standard, but Jesus did. Jesus was able to. When Jesus says that I am the fulfillment of the law, that is what he is saying, that he is the one who kept God's law perfectly, and ultimately, that keeping of the law is what would enable Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins so that we could be in right relationship with God. Jesus is not contradicting the law. He is not changing the law. He says he has come to fulfill the law, and he is saying that the heart of the law it transcends just what's happening in the external, and it goes all the way to the internal. So our external actions are a reflection of what is happening inside of us. And what is happening internally is going to show up on the outside. And we're going to circle back to this idea quite a few times today. But Jesus, when he says, I am now saying to you, he is saying that he is the fulfillment of that law. And this is a great reminder for us that God always keeps his promises. All the way back in the garden, we were promised a rescuer for this sin issue, this rebel race known as humanity. God said, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to make it right. And this is a great reminder that God always keeps his promises. The Old Testament points to a rescuer, and that rescuer came in the form of Jesus. 
The next thing that we need to talk about the difference between is salvation versus spiritual growth, okay? There is a difference between salvation and spiritual growth. We talked about this a lot last week during Adam's sermon. Our salvation is by faith alone. The foundation of our relationship with God is faith alone. It is not obedience. It is not what we do. But in so much of the Sermon on the Mount, we've seen already, and in the coming weeks, and in this passage today, we're going to see that Jesus talks a lot about what we do. Why? Because Jesus wants us to grow in spiritual maturity. Jesus wants us to grow spiritually. The the fancy word for that is sanctification. And our actions, the things that we do, again, if they reflect the inside of us, then that is indicative of our level of spiritual maturity. And so Jesus is giving some instructions here, some illustrations on how he wants to see his followers grow in spiritual maturity. And we're going to be looking at a few of these today. And in the coming weeks, we're going to take a look at a little bit more. But understand, with what we are talking about today... We are talking about spiritual growth. We are not talking about salvation. When we talk about the things that we do, all of that is aimed at spiritual maturity. It is not aimed at salvation. Salvation is only by faith alone in Jesus Christ. The last thing that we need to differentiate between is identity versus behavior. We have to differentiate between our identity and our behavior. Our behavior or our external actions, these are the things that we do. And they do show the internal condition of our heart. What is happening on the inside is expressed externally. But our identity, that is what God calls you. That is who you are. Our behaviors are not the same as our identity. And our identity, if you are a follower of Jesus, is your identity is child of the king. You are part of God's family. And there is nothing that can ever change your identity. Our behaviors change, but our identity never does. Now, being a part of God's family, just like being a part of any family, there are expected behaviors, right? There are certain ways that you act when you are in a family. And you can behave sometimes outside of that family identity. You can sometimes act out of that family identity, but ultimately your identity never changes. And I, I kind of saw this play out not too long ago in my family. So about 14 months ago, my oldest daughter, Lena, she came to me and she says, Dad, I, I want a puppy. I want a puppy for my birthday. And I'm thinking we already have a dog. We don't need another dog. And she says, I just want a puppy. I said, baby, we have a dog. She says, no, that's our family dog. I want my puppy. I want a puppy of my own. I said, well, what kind of, what kind of puppy do you want? And she says, I want a Bernadoodle. And if you're anything like me, you're going, what's a Bernadoodle? I had absolutely no idea. A Bernadoodle is half Bernese Mountain Dog and half Poodle. And she says these dogs are fantastic. They, uh, they don't get very big. They don't really shed very much. They're very sweet. They're very loving. And uh, they're very obedient. They're very smart. I think this would be great. And Lena, man, she never asked for much of anything. So her mom and I talked, and we were like, all right. So we surprised her with a, a Bernadoodle puppy. And I think we have a picture of that. Yep, this is Lena on the day that she got Brandy. Brandy is our Bernadoodle. I don't know where Lena came up with that name, but she loves that name, Brandy. And so we get Brandy, and, uh, and again, I am promised she's going to be you know, not too big. I am promised she's not going to shed anywhere. I am promised she's going to be obedient and awesome, and she's going to fit perfectly into our family. Let me show you Brandy not even a year later. <laughs> Y'all, they lied to me. They lied to me. And, and I mean, we'll... 
the pajamas, the Christmas pajamas, that's a whole completely different sermon, okay? But look how big this dog got. Now, so this dog, this massive dog, I'm seeing her grow almost literally in front of my eyes. I can't even believe it. Well, we take her to puppy school, and she learns obedience, and we're trying to teach her what, what it means to be a part of the Boke family. If you're going to be a dog in this family, you need to learn, and you need to know how to behave. So after a little while, we, we, you know, we kept her kind of pinned up at first, and then eventually the pin couldn't even hold her. Look at the size of her. And, uh, and so we decide we're going to start giving her a little bit more freedom. So we're going to go out to eat dinner. We're going to let Brandy kind of chill in the living room area because we're like, how much damage could she do like in an hour and a half, y'all? So we get back. This dog has torn up the couch, has torn up all of our shutters, has torn up all these different window seals. She has chewed on the staircase. I don't know, like she had to have gone to work the second that we left, right? So she's behaving not how we have instructed her, not what we told her to do. And I'll never forget my youngest Ava. She comes up to me with tears in her eyes and she says, Daddy, are we going to get rid of Brandy? Are we going to have to send her back? And I said, sweetheart, no. Now, that's not what I wanted to say. I said, sweetheart, no. I said, she's part of our family. She is part of our family. Now, am I saying that us adopting a dog is the same as what happens when we get adopted into God's family? No. I'm not saying the same thing. You are valued and you are treasured as a child of the king. But what I am saying is that our identity as a child of God, our identity as a part of God's family, that even in that, sometimes our behavior cannot match up with what our identity is. And so this is what Jesus is attempting to address here in the scripture that we have taken a look at. So with this foundation kind of laid, understanding what a big deal it was that Jesus is saying, I am God, here is what I am now saying to you. Understanding that we are talking about spiritual growth today, not our salvation. Understanding that we are talking about our external behaviors, not our identity as children of the king. I want to go back and I want to take a look at some of these verses and we're going to take it kind of two verses at a time and we're going to unpack what is being said here and then we're going to have some applications. So if you have those notes pages, make sure you go ahead, pull those out now because we're going to be getting to some of those fill in the blanks here soon. And I really hope that this can kind of help us as we continue in our spiritual growth today, talking about reconciliation. So picking it up in Matthew 5, 21, Jesus says this, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. And this is some pretty harsh language that Jesus is using here, right? I mean, he's talking about like courts and Supreme Courts and fiery hell. And I know that many of you sitting there thinking, you're going like, Chad, how can someone whose identity is family of God, we are saved, our salvation is secured. How can Jesus say that anything we do is going to send us into the fiery hell? Let me unpack this a little bit. First, let's back up to the Old Testament standard. Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not kill, do not murder. And I think that we can all agree, like, that's a pretty low bar, right? Like, I think on the list of things that we're likely to do throughout the day, hopefully murder's pretty low. Like, that's not happening, right? Like, that's not something that's going to happen. It's a pretty, pretty low bar. But you see, God is after our hearts. 
God is not just after what happens externally, although that certainly does matter when we are in God's family. God is after our hearts. And so Jesus is going to drill down to the source here that this, ex- this external action, this awful thing, this horrific uh, murder, he's saying what is the root cause of that? And ultimately the root cause of that is anger. It's anger and bitterness. And understand, I'm not talking about like a righteous anger where you see something happening that ought not be, or maybe that momentary flash of anger where somebody says something to you and you kind of bow up just for a second before you calm down. I'm talking about a habitual, bitter anger that eats you up inside and just keeps you at a place of just not happy and angry and and bitterness. And you see, murder may be the effect in the example that Jesus gives us, but ultimately, anger is the cause. And what Jesus is saying is that everyone who has this kind of bitter anger is guilty of violating God's law, the heart of God's law, the heart behind it. And any violation of God's law, whether internal or external, it does not lead to righteousness. And ultimately, that's the goal in this process of spiritual growth and sanctification is to become, is to chase after God's righteousness. And this has a huge negative effect on your own life. I mean, think about it. As you're sitting here today, you probably know someone, maybe you are that someone, that's just angry all the time. They're just bitter. Something's happened to them, and they're just frustrated, and they're angry, and like you don't even want to go, and you don't even want to talk to that person. And that is not how God wants us to live. That is not how God wants us to live our lives. God wants us to experience peace and joy in our lives. And that's going to be our first application for today, that by exemplifying God's forgiveness in my life, I can experience peace and joy. By exemplifying God's forgiveness in my life, I can experience peace and joy. By forgiving others and reconciling, I can experience peace and joy. And what's really interesting here in this scripture is how we see Jesus kind of take this escalation of anger, right? Like he he starts off with this internal anger, something you kind of keep inside. And he says, even doing that makes you guilty before the court. And we understand this escalation, right? The people listening in that day would have understand the escalation of court to Supreme Court. We have that here. You know, we have the local courts, the state-level courts, the national-level courts. And many of those listening to Jesus were the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were sitting on that Supreme Court. So they would have understood this escalation. So first, it's this internal anger. We're frustrated, and Jesus says, that makes you guilty enough before the court. But then you get even more bad. You get more bitter. And you say something out loud. And Jesus says, that makes you guilty before the Supreme Court. So it's, it's escalating a level. And then he, you say something really mean. You really let them have it. And Jesus says, at that point, you're guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. And we'll unpack what that means here in just a moment. And probably the best illustration that I can give you for this, because what Jesus is talking about, he's talking about the consequences of our actions here on this earth. That there are different things that we can do that will result in different consequences. Again, we're not talking salvation. Our salvation is secure, but we're talking about consequences and spiritual growth here on earth in our own lives, our sanctification process. And the best example that I can give you, again, I go back to my kids. I think about how there are times that my two daughters, I'll know that maybe they're not happy with each other. You can tell, not a whole lot of conversation happening at dinner, not a whole lot of playing together happening, right? So you can tell they're not very happy with each other, and I probably won't step in at that point. 
Well, then one of them may say something out loud to the other one, you know, a snide comment, something in passing. And uh, at that point, it's escalated. And I may step in and say, hey, you need to apologize for that. You need to go make that right. That's not okay what you said. Oh, but then, then they say something that knocks my socks off. Where did you learn that? From your mother. Okay, no, I'm kidding. I can't believe that you said that. It's one of those things where it makes you, as a father, just want to, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. What's going on? And the reaction at that point, man, it is even more. And that is what Jesus is saying here, is that as this anger takes root and takes hold, it builds and it builds and it builds and it escalates and it escalates and it escalates. Now, this word fiery hell that Jesus is using here, the word fiery hell that Jesus used, it's the Greek word Gehenna, which is a translation from the Hebrew word Hinnom, okay? And Gehenna or Hinnom is actually a physical location that is located outside the city of Jerusalem. It's a valley located outside the city of Jerusalem. I think we have a map here that we can throw up. So this is the city of Jerusalem as it would have appeared in Jesus' day, kind of an overhead view. You can see the temple is down over here. You can see Golgotha is up here. And then over here, this is the Hinnom Valley. This is located right outside the city of Jerusalem. Right here is the Hinnom Valley. And the Hinnom Valley, just a, a loose translation, it means valley of slaughter, okay? It means valley of slaughter. And this was a kind of a cursed place for the Israelites. So back in the Old Testament times when over and over again these kings would turn away from God, the Hinnom Valley is where they would go often to offer up their, their sacrifices, child sacrifices, pagan sacrifices, all of these different rituals that would happen. It was a dark, dark place. And when the Babylonians invaded and they carried off the Hebrews into exile, the Hinnom Valley is where when they killed the Israelites, they stacked the bodies. And by the time it was Jesus' day, this was a place where you dumped garbage, you dumped animal carcasses. This is where it was kind of just, just a disgusting, terrible place. And what they did is they kind of turned it into a giant burn pit. So anything that went there, they threw them into these burn pits, and it just turned into this just giant valley of yuck. And what Jesus is saying here, he is using this place, the Hinnom Valley, Gehenna, he's using this as an illustration of what will happen in your life if you allow anger and bitterness to go unchecked. If you don't go and make things right, if you don't reconcile, what he is saying is that the internal condition of your heart will become like that Hinnom Valley. It will become like the Valley of Slaughter. It will become a place that nobody wants to go to. And you will live a life of bitterness if you don't choose to forgive and if you don't reconcile. But when we do forgive, we get to experience that peace and that joy that comes only from the Lord. And this seems so backwards, right? It seems like that when something is done to us, the only way for us to ever feel at ease about it would be to get revenge, to fight back. But in God's economy, that's not how it works. The only way that we are ever able to move forward is through forgiveness. And that's how we experience peace and joy. So we don't fight back in anger. We fight forward through forgiveness. Picking it up now in verse 23, Jesus says this, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. So Jesus is going to take this idea of peace and forgiveness, 
and he is going to escalate it beyond just what's happening inside of us, and he's going to take it out to the external here. And uh, he's already discussed our internal angle. Now, now he's talking about what happens on the external. And he says that if you are at the altar, if you are making a sacrifice at the altar, and you even remember that somebody else has something against you, you are to leave that sacrifice, go make it right, be reconciled, and then come back and have your sacrifice at the altar. And we really need to talk about what a very big deal this is. Because at the time of Jesus, the only altar that the Israelites could have gone to was located at the temple in Jerusalem. We saw it on the map just a second ago. That was the only altar where they could go and offer their sacrifices. And uh, this was something, especially if you were a little bit lower income, probably didn't happen that often in your life. It's one of the most holy experiences for any Israelite, for any Jewish person, but it costs a lot of money. Oftentimes you had to travel. As a matter of fact, where Jesus is preaching this from in Galilee, it's about 80 miles from where the temple is in Jerusalem. So that's at least, what, a four or five day walk, probably with an animal slung across your back. And this was a, this was a costly thing. And when you, know, you have an agrarian society, these guys are farmers and fishermen. It's not like the job goes on without you. You don't get to take paid leave back in you know, first century Palestine. So Jesus says, if you are at the altar, and these guys have had a lot to do to get to the altar. It has cost them money. They have taken time away. They've traveled from far away. And uh, what they probably expected him to say is like, hey, if you're at the altar after all of that and you're making your sacrifice and you remember that somebody has something against you, quickly finish up your sacrifice, go and make it right, and everything's good. But that's not what Jesus says here. He says, no matter what you have paid, no matter how long it has taken you, if you are at the altar and you remember that someone has a problem with you, you are to leave that. You went 80 miles there, we'll go 80 miles back, make it right with that person, and then and only then should you go back and finish that sacrifice. Now, why is that? It's because Jesus is telling us that reconciliation is more important than any religious ceremony. Reconciliation is more important than any religious ceremony, and that's our second application for today, that spiritual growth in my life is impossible without reconciliation. Spiritual growth in my life is impossible without reconciliation. And there is nothing that expresses more that we are followers of Jesus than when we forgive those who have wronged us, when we forgive one another. It is such an important part in our process of sanctification, being reconciled to those around us. It is at the cornerstone of our faith. And I know that maybe sitting in this room right now, maybe listening online, there are probably folks that as I'm talking about this, there may be people coming to your mind. There may be people that are coming to your mind that you think, man, I really need to make the relationship right with that person. And what I would tell you is right now, pull out your cell phone. How often do you get permission to do that during a message? Pull out your cell phone, send a text, start a conversation. I'm not saying that you have to go and finish that conversation at this moment. What I am saying is take a step to start that conversation. And I know that it's not easy to do, whether it's a fresh wound or an old wound. It can be so hard to have that conversation of reconciliation I get it, but as a follower of Christ, Jesus has not given us the option to not do that. Now, let me put a caveat on that. I understand that there are some in this room who have been 
through whether it's abuse or some sort of other serious thing that has been done to them, that it goes beyond just having a conversation. And what I would say to you is that your pastors are here for you, your church is here for you. I understand that this may be a process, but no matter where you are, I would encourage you, whatever step it is that you need to take to make that relationship right, my encouragement to you today is to take that step. Jesus doesn't give us the option of leaving it as it is. Now, why? Two reasons. One, because we have been forgiven of so much. We ourselves have been forgiven of so much. And two, because it is for our own benefit. Remember, we don't want our lives, our internal condition, to end up looking like that valley of slaughter that is described in the earlier verses. Spiritual growth is impossible without reconciliation, first with God and then with others. Picking it up in verse 25, Jesus says this, Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. So it's interesting to note here how Jesus kind of shifts who he's talking about. First, he talks about the internal condition of our hearts. Then he's talking about our brothers and our sisters in Christ. And now Jesus uses this word opponent. We have left the territory of friend, and we have entered into enemy territory. And we all have those people in our lives that they just know how to get us, right? These are the folks that maybe you see them at work, maybe you see them out around, that, man, the idea of them winning over you, man, it just kind of makes you want to clench your fist and kind of drives you into a rage. These are the ones that we feel like they have wronged us, and, man, we are not going to say a word to them. They can come and talk to me if they want to make things right. And the problem with that line of thought is that it is 100% contrary to what Jesus is telling us here. We feel like we are the ones who have been wrong, but in the scripture, Jesus says that if we actually go through with this thing and we go to court, that we're the ones who are going to be thrown into prison. And it's a great reminder that no matter how wrong do you feel, that ultimately it was us whose sin nailed the only innocent man to ever live to the cross. No matter how wrong do you feel, that is a great reminder that ultimately it was our sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. And it is only through reconciliation that that can be made right. And Jesus is saying in this scripture that at the end of the day, it is better for us to work out our problems with each other, to be reconciled to each other, than to have to take it and escalate it one step further. Again, my daughters, it's better for them to work out their problems than for dad to get involved, am I right? And an important step in that process, something that helps kind of gauge our level of spiritual maturity is when we stop and we think, what is it that I'm actually upset about? What is it that I'm angry about? What is it that I feel wronged by? Is it some sort of cornerstone principle of my faith? Is it some sort of cornerstone identity principle? Or is it just a preference that I have? Is it something that, that I prefer and I feel like everybody else should have to do that, but, but really they're not held to that standard? And that's going to be our third application for today, that being spiritually mature results in knowing the difference between principle and preference. Being spiritually mature results in knowing the difference between principle and preference. See, our principles are what define us. That's our family. That's our tribe. When we talk about being a child of God, and there are principles in Scripture that we are not to back down on, to be sure. These are the things that God has told us to obey in the process of sanctification. But your preferences, well, those are just the things you want. 
Those are just the things that you like. And not everyone is bound by your preferences. But we so much of the time think that they should be. And I see this play out all the time. And I'm going to step on a few toes here, and I apologize, but not really, because I see so many folks, I see so much bitterness and so much anger and so much conflict happen because people are choosing and they're mistaking their preferences for God's principles. I see this online all the time. I see people having arguments in, in the comment section on different social media platforms about stuff. I see people talk about their preferences politically. I see arguments happen. And what happens when that happens? Relationships get destroyed and there's no reconciliation. I see people that have their preferences when it comes to raising children. They think, well, man, you should raise your kid the same way I've raised mine. And they don't raise their kid that same way. Now, again, we're not talking God's principles. We're talking our preferences. And what happens? That leads to frustration. I see people that say, hey, man, your marriage should be the same as mine. You need to read this marriage book, this marriage book. You need to have your marriage be this way. And it's like, hey, that's not the same way. That's your preference, but that's not our preference and then relationships get destroyed. Here's one for you. I see it in the church where people have their preference of the way that church should be done as opposed to God's principles. And what happens? Church splits, ruined relationships, and the relational equity to be able to speak truth and to reconcile with someone else goes away. And ultimately what Jesus is telling us here is that if you cannot to learn to get along with others, if you cannot learn the difference between preference and principle, then it will cost you. It will cost you in relationships. It will cost you in peace and joy. And Adam, we talked last week, he talked about us being salt and light to this world. God has sent his church into the world to be salt and light. And if we battle over every preference and mistake principles for preference, then we are going to lose the right to be able to be salt and light to people. We will lose that relational equity. And the benefit isn't just for others, it's also for you. It's also so that you can experience that peace and that joy that comes only from the Lord in your life. So many of us are wrapped up in prisons of unforgiveness and bitterness of our own making. And all it takes is forgiveness. Christian author Lewis B. Smedes puts it this way. He says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. And so here today, as we kind of wrap up, my question for you would be, what is it that you need to do? What is the next step that you feel that you need to take to grow in spiritual maturity, to reconcile with others around you? What is it that God is calling you to do today? What is it that you need to do to break out of that prison of unforgiveness, of bitterness, and to experience the peace and the joy that comes only from the Lord? Let's pray. So Father, I do thank you for your word. God, I thank you, God, that we can know you. God, I thank you for how you teach us how we can be sanctified, God. I thank you that you teach us how we can have peace and we can have joy. And God, my prayer today is that whatever it is that you are saying to the folks in the sound of my voice, God, whatever that next step is, God, I pray that you will give them the boldness, the courage to take that step. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for how it guides us and directs us. And God, I just lift these folks up to you, Father God. I just pray that you will reveal yourself to us. And God, I just pray that whatever that next step is, God, that we can take that to be reconciled with others. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.